Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jen, and I'm here with Ellen. Hi. Say, say your name. I say make some I'm noise. Ellen. I say so that people recognize our voices. Mm. Um, and we realize that um, nobody knows who we are anymore. Like because we don't say our names enough about our, <sighs> talk about ourselves. <laughs> well, I mean, I think even before the podcast, we had that issue—the issue of being confused. <laughs> it still happens. That is very true. But people I mean, do confusing get on the you for me and me like, for you, vice versa, right? Yeah, yeah. People are like, oh, we're not oh, twins. We don't boys. really look. No, I mean, <laughs> no, anyway. we're not twins, not at all. <laughs> oh, um, but you know, speaking of lookalikes or people that look like, have, Ellen, have you ever had any brushes or met any famous people? Oh, uh, yes. I have a few of the meeting famous people encounters. I actually thought it was really funny that there is one celebrity I've kind of met, I mean, not met, seen twice. So I worked for a summer in Los Angeles where, of course, there's like sightings left and right. Um, but I was in a restaurant once and someone was like, look, dog, the bounty hunter just walked in. <laughs> and that was like already when we were sitting next to the table of like the cast and crew of um, the Big Bang Theory. Oh wow! I, I recognize like the guy who used to be on Roseanne back in the day, and um, anyway, but then so I guess Dog the Bounty Hunter, I don't know his real name, moved to Colorado because uh, we were doing a match meeting of introducing intended parents to a surrogate, and I swear <laughs> Dog the Bounty Hunter walked by, and it was like in a black eyed piece, which is like not a fancy right? restaurant <laughs> in any way <laughs> at all, in, like nowhere Colorado. Uh, it wasn't even Denver; I think we were in Castle Rock. Uh, yeah. But, oh, speaking of celebrities meeting people. So this, yeah. our guest today, um, while she might not be a celebrity to everyone in the sense of Dog the Bounty Hunter, I mean, you can't really get much bigger than that, right? Um, <laughs> I was excited to get to meet her. So I had, I've written for a long time about fertility fraud issues and um, these just cases, at case after case of someone finding out through a DNA test that they're parent is not who they expected. And then the next step of actually finding out that um, the fertility doctor had used their own sperm and that they are a child of the fertility doctor. And um, most of these cases, of course, the parent has, their parent has no idea. And everyone's like very shocked to find this out. So I was surprised. I've been following the cases across the country as well, some internationally. And I was surprised when we had one local to Colorado as well. And so I've been following it and writing about it. And there's a case involved. Um, and I went to the, one of the hearings when they had um, a bill up to make sure that any future um, misuse of gametes is what the the bill was about um, would be illegal because like shockingly it's not illegal right now right. in most states. Uh, and then I met our guest. So she uh, testified ah. at the hearing and I got a chance to, to chat with her after the hearing and her mom was there as well. Rockstar. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go listen to your rockstar interview then. Welcome Maya Edmonds Boring to the podcast. We appreciate you joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. Maya, do you want to start out by giving a little bit of a background about yourself? Yeah, so um, I was born in Colorado and then shortly moved to California where I met my um, high school sweetheart and we mm -hmm. had four kids, um, That's three a good girls number. and a boy. 
It's a perfect number. I love even numbers. <laughs> right. Um, and then shortly after that, we moved to Texas where we've been for the last 11 years. And you had a pretty significant discovery in your life. Should we go ahead and just dive right in of how how you came to find out something very significant about who you are? Yes. So I've always been super interested in family history, genetics, where we come from. Uh, I have a grandfather who served in World War II and, and landed on Utah Beach on D-Day. So I've wow. been really interested into where we all come from. And so I finally bit the bullet. And in 2018, I ordered an ancestry DNA test just purely for the ethnicity results. Nice. And so in the end of November, uh, those results came back and I didn't really see anything that caught my attention. Oh. I was so I just kind of looked at them and thought, oh, this yeah. is cool. I'm what I thought I was, basically. And ethnicity, you just thought kind of like European or... Yeah, so pretty shocking. pretty much pretty much European. I had discovered some um, Czechoslovakian lines on my dad's side, and those okay. didn't show up. And so I thought that was kind of disappointing that I must have done our family history incorrectly. Uh, but otherwise, mm-hmm. nothing out of the ordinary. I was very English, very German. And some Scandinavian, basically. Yeah. Uh, and and, you, I, and then, like, you had done a lot of research about your father. I, so you expected yes, to see that. definitely a lot of research. His fam, I was. And his I, his family had been in the U.S. for years. And so, yeah, I was expecting to see something more on his side. But then I thought I just had gotten it wrong. And I needed to go back and, and do some more research on his side of the family. I even showed the results to my parents. That's what I was going to ask. Was it, were your mom and dad still around? Did you talk to them about you're doing this? And how did that yeah, go? They knew I was doing it. They've known I've always been into genealogy. And they just kind of looked at the results with me and were like, oh, cool. Like, that was it. Oh, okay. Um Then the holiday season comes around. I didn't even look at my results again. I was just busy with my family and the holidays, and I'm at a New Year's Eve party on December 31st, 2018, and it's chaos. I'm at my in-laws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're a wild bunch, and I get this message through Ancestry.com, and it is from a woman claiming to be my half-sister. Oh, and wow. during, during the party. Like during the party. Yeah, this was like 10 p.m. my time. And my heart literally like just sank into my stomach. I'm like, this has got to be a scam. So I immediately Google how reliable these commercial DNA tests are. And as of that day. At 10 p.m. on New Year's Eve instead of enjoying your party. (laughs) Exactly. 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 And immediately I saw that as of that date, there had never been a wrong test result. Wow. I did not know they were that reliable. Interesting. So I responded to her. I don't even remember what I said. Just basically, uh, I didn't know I had half siblings. You know, immediately I'm thinking one of my parents had an affair. That's what I was wondering if that's what you like to, right? Um, She said she was sperm donor. Um, Eventually, she says she's sperm donor conceived. And was was your dad at this party? Were you kind of like looking? No, (laughs) my parents were not. No one from my side of the family was there. Um, 
And so she says she's sperm donor conceived. And I just, I, that whole like out of body experience, I've never experienced before, but that's how it was. It felt like even though that party was super loud, it felt like nothing was going on around me. My heart was racing. I just, I just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't explain it, you know? Was the next thought, oh, my dad was a sperm donor? Was that the next kind of thinking? That, that popped in my head for a really quick second. And then I remembered my parents telling me that my dad had testicular cancer when he was very, very young. And so I pulled my husband aside and we went out into the garage where it was quiet. And I said, will you read this, please? And of course he thinks he's in trouble because I'm like, I need to talk to you privately, <laughs> right? At this yeah. big party. And right. so anytime we, we need to talk. Right? Yes. <laughs> right. It's never, it's never a good thing. And so we went out in the garage and I just handed him my phone. He had no clue what I was showing him. And he reads the the two emails from my half sister and he goes, I think this means your dad isn't your isn't your dad. And I just started mm-hmm. sobbing. Uh, uncontrollably. Uh, one of my, one of my kids of course come out looking for me and they see me embracing my husband sobbing and they're like, okay, I think we'll go back inside. Um, so the rest of the night was just kind of a blur. Like I just sat on the couch and tried to understand what I even said. I'm like, I feel like I'm in a lifetime movie. Like who at the age of 38 finds out that the man who raised them is not their biological father. Like, that's crazy. And are you just like going over any conversation or any clues or in your head? about? I was, um, you know, like I, like I said, I knew he had had testicular cancer as I had gotten older. I had asked or had made comments like, wow, you guys were really blessed that dad could still have children after going through testicular cancer in the, in the seventies. And, you know, they would be like, yeah, we were really blessed, you know, things mm. like that. Um, I remember going to an Emmons family reunion just a couple years earlier and sitting there and thinking, I don't look like any of these people and my children oh. don't look like any of these people. Oh, wow. And you're like, wait, suddenly retrospective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but you know, those are like thoughts that creep in your head and then you're like, okay, that's really stupid. And then you push them out and you don't even think of it again. You know, I would, I would never have guessed that my dad is not my biological father ever before this. So Um, did you talk to your mom and dad or what happened next? Well, so I, I have two sisters. And so on um, January 2nd, I set up a meeting to meet with them and I told them what I had found. And uh, had either of them done a DNA test? No, on I, was, or, okay. I was the one that opened Pandora's box. So um, they, I mean, we laughed, we cried. My sister, Tawny, who is five years younger than me, I we pretty much assumed she was donor conceived as well. My baby sister, Grace, who was 13 years younger than me, we assumed was my father, the man who raised me, his child. But we didn't know for sure. Huh. So Tawny and I set up a meeting. uh, I believe it was for January 4th to to meet with our parents. That was 
the was scariest. That, was that normal to be like, mom and dad, we'd like a no. meeting? <laughs> like, like, no. Oh, no. As soon as I mentioned to my mom, we wanted to meet with them. Of course, she's like, what do you, you know, is everything okay? Is everybody healthy? <laughs> Again, you know? it's that classic yeah. where you say we need to talk. It's yes. like it's angst inducing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, those were the longest two days of my life. Uh, just, I basically just hit out. I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, but on you didn't, you didn't tell her what the meeting was about. Correct. I did not uh-huh. tell her. And this is a long time frame. You said since to the January 24th. So had your sisters at that point, since you said you told them first, no, January 4th, DNA right? Too? No, just a couple Oh, you days. say January 4th? Oh, okay. I yeah, think it's the 24th. This... And I was like, oh, I was like, wow, you held on for a long time. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no. And none of them even thought about taking a DNA test yet. We just wanted to talk okay. to our parents. So Tani and I met with my parents. We went in their bedroom, shut the door, and I started the conversation. And I like, how do you start a conversation like that? You know, so I'm 38, my sister's 33. And, and so I just came right out and said it. And I said, did you use um, a sperm donor to conceive me and Tawny? And at first my mom was adamant, like, no, we did not use a sperm donor. What are you talking about? This is crazy. And I said, well, ancestry says differently. And so she automatically goes, well, how do we know that's reliable? And I said, it's reliable. And, and you're, like, you're, I asked that question first. Yeah. Yes. Your dad's there too, right? He's in this meeting also. My dad is very, very quiet. And he sat there. For, it was just a couple minutes of my mom kind of arguing with me. And he interrupts my mom and he says, yes, we used a sperm donor to conceive you and Tawny. And again, the floor dropped out from underneath me because I was hoping somehow something was wrong. Um, And he was very upfront. He explained that uh, my mom wanted a biological child and he went through very, uncomfortable, unfun testing to see if he was able to conceive and he was not able to conceive a natural child. And so they decided, they went to my mom's um, OBGYN and asked what options were available to them. And, you know, they had planned on maybe having to go over to Denver because we're from the small town of Grand Junction on the Western Slope, going to Denver or Salt Lake or Phoenix to conceive. And my mom's OBGYN said that he was able to to help them there locally. And if they were interested, he had sperm donors that he worked with and they could use a local sperm donor. Um, It wasn't an easy decision, but they ended up deciding to be, or to use a sperm donor. Uh, My mom had been seeing her OBGYN for five, six years prior to this and really, really trusted him. And I think that's what helped her make a decision to, to go ahead and just do it local. Yeah. Was there any conversation that your mom or dad remembered about like who the donor would be or kind of any characteristics or requirements for that donor? Yeah. So they asked, I mean, this is Grand Junction in the 70s, not a really big town. Um, right. he, he said that there was local um, 
medical students and residents at St. Mary's that they used. And they would kind of come and go, you know, with with their assignments. Um, He told my parents that he would be a European male that would somewhat resemble my father as best as he could find. They would be fresh donations. So my mom would have to chart her temperatures. And then when she was ovulating, she would call the office and she would have to come in right away and they would procure the fresh donation. And then they would chase down said medical students, right? (laughs) Yes, I know. And then they would do the insemination. And it took my mom several tries before she um, conceived me. She would get pregnant, but have a miscarriage. So in, in, um, she finally conceived me the, what, the end of 1979. So, um, so how did you feel when you found out they used a donor? Well, at first I was really angry. Um, because Because they they tell you, yeah, I'm 38 years old. There had been issues with one of my pregnancies where I had to go to genetic counseling and they went with me because I was a young mother and they sat there and listened to me give false family history and make a decision. Um, I was angry. I felt lied to, betrayed, um, a lot of trust issues at first. And then probably the biggest question was if Tawny and I had the same donor. And yeah. we, we asked my dad that and he was told by my mom's OBGYN that when they went in to have Tawny, their second child, five years later, that they he couldn't guarantee it was the same donor because the residents and medical students obviously come and go from the local hospital in Grand Junction. So my parents did not know if the same donor was used. My mom was also really hopeful because eventually she admitted that her OBGYN told her that after the insemination, go home and have a romantic evening with your husband and just maybe it'll be Mm -hmm. your husband's child. And so I think my mom really hung on to that for all these years. That's how she got her in her head, her, her deniability feeling on that. No, it wasn't a donor. It was, yeah. Correct. Yeah. And was, was Grace by chance, did she, I was going to ask related to your dad, third sister then. So Grace was conceived in California Southern California. And she was literally a surprise baby. My mom was going in for a hysterectomy at the age of 41. And the day of the hysterectomy, the hospital calls my mom because they obviously have to do a pregnancy test. And they're like, Mrs. Emmons, we need you to sit down. And she's panicking like she has cancer or something. And they go, "Uh, you're pregnant. Wow. So... Grace is my dad's biological child. It's amazing. Just, it was a miracle. She's a miracle. So. Wow. So what was next for you and Tawny? Were you having regular communication with this newfound half-sister? Were you curious if there were others? Were you looking for the daughter? And did Tawny at that point take a DNA test also? So Tawny did not take a DNA test right away. She was so afraid of learning that we were half sisters that, and myself as well, that she put it off for a good, I don't know, six weeks. 
um, in the, we assumed we look a lot alike and we're very, very similar. So we assumed it was the same donor, but by what our dad told us that these, you know, yeah, sperm right. donors Medicine. come and go, what are yeah. the odds in five years? Right. right. So in the meantime, my half sister that I originally made con- or she made contact with me, she put me in contact with um, three other half siblings, um, a half brother and two half sisters. And wow. we all had the same, very similar stories uh, about our, our mothers. Hmm. Our, the fathers were unable to, um, con- you know, help conceive. And so they went to uh, the doctor or were sent to this doctor. And he told them, I can help you conceive. Very identical stories. And um I'm not a very trusting person anyways, and I know Grand Junction. And so I'm thinking something's not right. So I spent from the first week of January until January 24th in my room researching. And on 23andMe, there was a paternal, there's three paternal cousins. They were um, second cousins. And I was able to learn how to make a mirror tree with their family and wow. then tr- and then try and connect it to a family member on the doctor's tree that I had built. So I had these two mirror trees, right, that I'm trying to link to a common ancestor. Be- the doctor's tree, meaning like you suspected that it was the doctor. Yeah, just, just the just there were so many similarities and again grand junction i can't imagine there was just the plethora of donors just waiting for right. him to call there, you know there right there's no med school right so they're just talking no, about right. like med students assigned to this small town correct the only thing that the reason why my mom and dad believed that there was all these donors was because St. Mary's Hospital was the closest hospital to say like Aspen. And if there was a big ski emergency, they would be airlifted into Grand Junction. And so my parents assumed that's why there would be all these med students or residents working there. From their perspective, that is the big city, right? Well, not for my mom. She was born and raised in California, but okay, it, <laughs> it is for my dad. My dad, Just trying. <laughs> yeah, my dad came from a little tiny town, Hotchkiss, Paonia, and so um, that was a big city to him. Yes, yeah. So I spent all this time building these mirror trees. That's all I did for three weeks. Um, I was obsessed, and one day I'm sitting on my bed. It was the evening, actually, and. It was January 24th. My husband's sitting next to me and I know he thinks I'm crazy. And I just, I connected the trees. I connected the trees to the doctor's mother, which would be my paternal grandmother. And at first I was just so relieved and elated, not because that proves he's my biological father, but because I had proof of who my biological father was. I don't even know if that makes sense, but it was just a relief. Sure. And then I started crying. Um, I have memories of him. He delivered me. He delivered my sister. When Tawny was born, he saw me in the hallway. My grandma was bringing me to visit Tawny. 
and he sees it. it this is a five-year-old's mind, but I, it's this really long hallway in the hospital. And he goes, Maya. And I smile because I knew who he was. I had been to my mom's OBGYN appointments. And he says, do you want to meet your baby sister? And he comes trotting down the hallway, picks me up, carries me into the labor and delivery room and brings me over to meet my baby sister. This was always a very positive memory for me because I remember Mm -hmm. being feeling special that a doctor Mm -hmm. who we all kind of put on pedestals took that much interest in me. You know, this was, this was 11. Yeah. I can see how gross it is the other way. Yes. So it's 11 o'clock at night. He brings me in to meet her. It was this happy memory. And that was one of the first things I thought of was that's disgusting that he did that. So he introduced his biological daughter to his biological daughter with my parents in the room. Um, so yeah, I have memories of him. Like when we moved to, um, California in, in the 88, 89, we actually ran into him at a mall in Southern California. How coincidental is that? Random. It was at Christmas time and it was packed and my dad was carrying Tawny and my mom was holding my hand and we're walking through the super crowded mall. And my mom feels a tap on her shoulder and she turns around and there's her old doctor. And he was super excited to see the family. And he got down low and talked to me face to face. And he told my mom that he just really wanted to see the girls and how the girls were doing. Wait, wait, wait. He had come wait, out like, to California? Way? No, his daughter was attending college in California. Okay. It was okay. complete coincidence that okay. he ran into us in the mall. Mm-hmm. But he did make his way across a very crowded um, department store to come and say hi to yeah. the four of us. Okay. Wow. Okay, so Tawny at some point here, she took her test? Yes, so eventually I said, Tawny, please, I need you to test. And so she did. Of course, for whatever reason, Ancestry was slower with her than everyone else. And it took like 10 weeks to get her test. Um, But thankfully... Well, it's kind of a double-edged sword. So I'm super, super grateful that she's my full-blood sister because she is. But that also means that her biological father is this creepy doctor guy. And I felt guilty that that had to be who her donor was. I mean, in a way, at least you weren't alone. Yeah. No, we've been a huge support to each other. You know, there's not very many people that can relate with our situation and we always have each other to to talk to when one of us is having a bad day. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say, but actually a lot of people have are in this situation. Well, like way, way more than you would think. Way more than I thought right? originally. I mean, the first thing I yeah. did when I found out who the, the donor was, which, I mean, is he even a donor? I don't know, is Googled it and... There was nothing on the internet. It's the first time in my life that I Googled something and there wasn't an answer readily available. The only thing that popped up was Ellen's name. And 
Oh, so, are you serious? Yep. <laughs> so just so you know. Wow. And, and I so was I, like, I've been writing about this for a while, so I know there's stuff out there. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, okay. So I immediately emailed Ellen, like, please help me. And she put me in contact with Jody. And then that kind of branched me out into this small network of doctor conceived people um, that has been a huge support system for us through all this. So how many half siblings did you find quickly? And if I may, and if there's a difference in the numbers, how many do you know of now? Excuse me. So right away there was, I believe five of us, if you don't count Tawny, because we didn't know for sure. Right. And you didn't know. We all talked in it immediately. Like we all got along. Um, I'm the one who on the 24th sent them a Facebook message and said, Hey, guess who our dad is. Um, And and, you you were the first to know that it was the doctor. Right. So they kind of all suspected it, but none of them either took the time to figure it out or were unable to figure it out. So that immediately bonded the five of us. And then um, as time has gone on, there's currently, including myself, 15 of us doctor-conceived wow. children, adults. Yeah. Wow. So what do you do next? <laughs> so the, the small group of us half-siblings didn't know what to do next. We considered contacting the doctor ourselves. Um, we considered hiring an attorney, but then what attorneys specialize in this? Uh, we de- we asked some people we knew in the same situation what they did. And the ones that reached out to the doctor themselves all told me that they regretted doing that and they wished oh. they would have gone through attorneys. Really? Did you talk wow. to people in Indiana? Because I, I don't know if you've heard the podcast Sick, where it talks mm-hmm. about them like sitting down with the doctor at like a diner. And it's just kind of mind blowing to hear yes. that. So I talked to two of them and then I talked to one other and they pretty much all said the same thing, that it was not a pleasant experience and it made them feel awful. You know, because people, it's hard to explain, but no matter what he did, he's my genetic father. Like I share 50% of my DNA. And so you do kind of want to have some sort of acceptance from him and his family. And I don't think any of my siblings and myself could have taken that rejection. Plus what we really wanted from him most of all was acknowledgement and then our health history. And so we thought it was safer to go through attorneys. So we, and we're kind of spread out all over the country. So I'm in, I'm in San Antonio, Texas. I have a half sister in South Dakota and I mean, we're, um, Oregon, we're everywhere. So we have a half brother in Denver who knew of this law firm, um, from a friend or from a, a family member and We contacted them and we set up this phone conference with these three attorneys from this law firm. And they, it was kind of funny because they were just dumbfounded. Like, this is not, 
what they thought they were going to have a meeting on that day. <laughs> um, so they asked us a bunch of questions and then said, all right, well, let us get back to you. And within a couple days, they said that, yes, they were interested in, in our case and willing. I mean, it's such a risk for these attorneys to take on cases like this. Like I have other doctor conceived people that I, that I've met and they cannot get attorneys to take their cases. They won't, a lot of them won't even touch it with a 10 foot pole. What did they say? I mean, to the extent you're, you can share or willing to share, did they say like, we think we have a path forward legally or what were they telling you at this point? They said that it was going to be a hard battle with absolutely no guarantees. And so they started out really slow by just sending a letter to the doctor and just basically asking him for um, acknowledgement, his DNA, and a health history. There was no immediate lawsuit or, yeah. or anything and like not- that demanding compensation or no. something. You're just like wanting information basically. Correct. This was about April of 2019 that this letter went out and we heard nothing, crickets. And so over between April and the end of October when they filed the lawsuit, our attorneys were very um, cautious and trying to, you know, play nice for lack of a better term to hopefully just get what we wanted and need and deserve. I mean, I deserve to know my health history. Um, But then the other side wasn't cooperating. And so that's when the lawsuit was filed the end of October of 2019. Mm. And is that still pending? Yes, it's still pending. Um, I can't say a whole lot about that, but sure, sure. Um, yes, it is in um, the Mesa. We've been assigned a judge and it's in the Mesa County um, courts. We're just kind of waiting um, to see when we'll have a court date and how all that will work. Yeah. And can I ask that case, Are what are you asking for in it? So we're asking for acknowledgement <laughs> health history, his DNA, and now we're asking for financial compensation because we ha- there's a whole bunch of legal fees that are now involved. And it's, it's um, several mothers that are in the lawsuit. Um, I believe two fathers, my father included, and then um, the majority of my sibling group is in the lawsuit. I think we're up to like, 18 or 21 um, plaintiffs in the lawsuit. And we're also suing the medical practice as well. And remind me, is he still practicing medicine? So no, he retired about 2014, but he's just renewed his medical license in May of 2019. Why? I have no idea, but Mm. he did renew it. And when our story broke in Denver, the end of October and the lawsuit was filed, he surrendered his medical license within pretty much the day because our attorneys had filed a complaint. um, I think in Colorado, it's called Dora. I'm not sure, but with the medical board and 
as soon as that came through, he just surrendered his license. Oh, wow. Oof. Um, and so all communication has been through attorneys at this point. There's been nothing substantive or any message from Correct. him. Correct. Yeah. Um, I did reach out to one of his social sons, the son, one of the sons he raised, but got no response back. And so I haven't reached out to anyone else in his family. Got it. So aside from the lawsuit, that wasn't just what you did. What else, what else did you do? So I happened to be in Colorado, um, July and August of 2019 for vacation. And I wanted to meet our attorneys and I had spoken with our one attorney I deal with the most, uh, Patrick Fitzgerald. And I told him that I really, really wanted to try and get a law passed in Colorado. Um, I observed how the law was passed here in Texas, and it inspired me to do the same in Colorado, my home state and where this took place. Because I could not believe, that was the other thing I Googled, is, is this illegal and it's not illegal? Like, how is something so disgusting like this, not illegal. So thankfully, my attorney, Patrick, um, knew of a couple lawmakers in Colorado. One of them was Representative Carrie Tipper, and he set up a meeting for her and I while I was in Colorado. I was absolutely terrified. I'm Mm. super quiet. I like to just keep to myself. I don't do public speaking. I, I hope she put you at ease because she is the nicest She's lady, amazing. So. <laughs> so so we we go from yeah. my attorney's office, and, and thankfully my husband was with me, and we walk over to her office, and I meet her, and she was fabulous. There was no, like, in my ignorant mind, I'm thinking lawmakers are pretentious and think they're better than everyone else, and she's just really down to earth. Yeah. And so she just asked me to tell my story, and I did. And she was shocked that this wasn't already a law. And so she, immediately she and had... And it's worth noting that Carrie Tipper, Representative Tipper, is an attorney herself, right? Right. Right. And she does a lot with fertility um, laws anyways. So she was kind of the perfect person to be introduced to. Um, right there while we're sitting there, after I tell my story, she asked some questions. Some of them were a little hard to answer. I mean... You get, you get hard questions when you're a person that's doctor conceived. And I answered them and she goes, you know what? She goes, I think I have a few other lawmakers who would be really interested in this. And she goes, one is representative um, Janice Rich, who is from Mesa County. And um, another one is Senator Gardner. And she goes, this would be a bipartisan bill if we, if these That's people- That's what I was also gonna, gonna note that, you know, Tipper is a Democrat, but Gardner is a Republican. So it's, you know, great to see that's not, um, you know, politics playing in it. Right, and, supportive. and you know, watching here in Texas, cause we went to both hearings here in Texas is this sort of thing is kind of a no brainer. Like I never have witnessed like a, the Democrats or the Republicans being one way or the other. Everybody's just kind of like, you. Like if you stop and think these donations are made within 30 minutes of the insemination. So that means that these, in my case, when my doc, my mom's doctor used fresh donation, he's becoming aroused. 
he's masturbating and then going right into the room with his patient or my mother and doing the insemination, probably still in a state of arousal. It's disgusting. And my mom, he wouldn't let anyone else in the room with any of our mothers. All of our mothers have never met, have never spoken, and they all tell the same story, that they were the only ones in the room. No spouse, no nurse, nothing. So when when you tell that to these lawmakers, no matter which side of the aisle they're on, they're all disgusted. You know, our, our, our bill and and, and Carrie was really awesome. She took the feedback from myself and several of my siblings on what was important to us to have in this bill. And, um, she made sure that those things were in there as best as she could with the way the laws are in Colorado. Like obviously it has to be a little different than say Texas. Yeah. Um, And I thought those were interesting things to talk about that, um, remind me what those things were that were important to you guys. So we wanted to make sure that the offspring from the doctor could sue civilly. Um, right now across the country, it's really hard for the offspring to be able to sue civilly. Most of those, um, offspring are thrown out of any court cases and only the mother and sometimes the father can bring a lawsuit against the doctor. Um, We wanted to make sure that the doctor would lose their license because in some of these cases, the doctor is still practicing even after all these accusations have been made. Um, We wanted some jail time, um, a fine, and we got all that in there. Um, You know, some of us wanted more jail time or what have you, but it's in it. It is currently in the Colorado law that if the doctor is found guilty of this, they do serve jail time and pay a fine. Right. And it's fairly low. It's a class six or something. Six it's a class felony. six. Just, yes. Just yes. 12 months to 18 months, I think. I mean, if one of these doctors served two weeks, that's, I mean, yeah. that's fine. Um, and it would be, they would be considered as having unprofessional conduct, which then once it goes to the medical board, they're pretty much going to lose their license. So, so you're living in Texas, though, and going through this process, you're coming out here to Colorado repeatedly, right, to come to the hearings. Yes. Yeah. My mom and I did. So my mom wasn't totally on board with being public when this all started. Um, and she saw how important it was for me because it was really the only thing I could control. So I could control going public. I can control changing laws. And so that's what I did. And she saw how important it was. And so she agreed to come with me to these hearings in Denver. And so the first time we flew out was in January and we are not cold weather people, but we, we toughed it out (laughs) and we went and it was absolutely terrifying. Um, we spoke to the criminal justice committee there, um, for the house and that room's huge and it was packed and the news knew we were coming. And so we had news cameras everywhere and we're a very private family. And we got up there and we talked about very personal things. You know, my mom talked about how she feels that she was sexually assaulted and, and, you know, things like, and you're this room full of people. Um, 
But yes, we did that. We did that twice. We came up. We also came up for the Senate um, uh, committee meeting and testified there as well. And did you expect it to pass? So the first time it, no, I didn't expect it to pass. It, <laughs> I had been, Carrie Tipper reached out to me um, when all this COVID stuff started and said that it would be very hard for bills like ours to get through because, I mean, let's face it, there's bills that take precedence in situations like this, you know, with budgeting and things like that. And I, and I mm -hmm. understood that. Uh, my first question to her was, well, does that mean we have to start over in January? And yeah. she said, yes, that it would be the first bill she'd yeah. reintroduce, but yes, we would have to start over and come back out and testify. <sighs> my, my mom and I were both willing to do that, but it wasn't something we wanted to do. You know, I mean, Colorado's beautiful, but not necessarily <laughs> in January. Right. And you're flying, you're paying for these flights on your own. We're paying for paying. flights and Ubers and hotel rooms. And so I was prepared for it not to pass. I even told my sibling group, it's probably not going to happen. And then there was nothing. And I get a phone call from my friend and she's part of a group that kind of follows these bills. And she goes, guess what, Maya, your bill just passed unanimously the Senate floor. And I was shocked. I was very emotional because I didn't think it was happening. It was the very last day of right. a very <laughs> unusual session. And I was just shocked. I mean, I, I don't, there's not even words to describe it. And so I immediately emailed um, Tipper and Rich and Representative Tipper wrote me right back. And she said, we knew there was a chance Senator Gardner would be able to push it through on the last day, but we didn't want to get your hopes up. That's why we didn't tell you. Oh, I know. She's yeah. so sweet. And she really sang uh, Senator Gardner's praises because she said if anybody could could get a bill in last minute, it would be him. And he did. So we're so grateful. I mean, it's just huge for our sibling group. It's it's, uh, it's more than I could dream of. And knowing it doesn't change, you know, what you've gone through or your situation, what does the, what does it mean to you to pass this? Right. Cause our, the bill we passed in Colorado is not retroactive. So it's not going to help our case in any way, but it means that we're making a difference. That's something that none of us, especially the, the offspring, but even our parents had no control over is something that we're controlling. You know, we, we actually did what you can do in America and we helped change laws and it's, it's quite remarkable. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? Like where, where are you guys now? How are you feeling aside from the lawsuit? Um, as a sibling group with coping with everything you've learned, kind of where are things now? Some, we're all kind of in different places. Um, some of us are doing better than others. I've noticed that <clears throat> I've noticed that people who have known the majority of their lives that, that are donor conceived do better than those of us that learned as adults. Um, 
but we all have our hard days. I mean, we're being rejected by our biological father. You know, he's definitely not been kind. And so we support each other. Um, we all get along. We've, I've only met a couple in person, but our little messenger group, we all get along. Um, it's, I, at first I didn't want to meet any of my half siblings cause I, I, I oh, felt I had a family and I was um, adamant that I didn't meet, didn't want to know any of them. And then it's you time, felt it was like a betrayal to your yeah, the family yeah. to my, my, my sisters and my parents and our, our nuclear family. But as time has gone mm-hmm. on, I've formed relationships and met two of them. Um, and that's kind of the silver lining from all of this is to have this sibling group. I mean, it's also really weird yeah. to know that there's so many of my siblings out there, but it's been the silver lining through all of this. Absolutely. I mean, it's nice to at least see some positive out of all of it. Yes. Um, I mean, I will note that we've had a couple other interviews with those in similar situations. You know, the, you know, no one understands, but I've been been shocked to see even just writing an article a couple of years ago to randomly get contacted. And one of our earlier episodes was Kevin who didn't use his last name in, in our interview he had done research and found out, you know, an East coast doctor and similar story and still practicing medicine as well. Um, and he was very, he's just like, Nope, I'm just happy I'm alive and it's fine. Um, and then versus Eve, I'm sure you, you know, Eve Mm -hmm. Wiley from Texas. Well, who, you know, has really fought hard and gets these reactions from people being like, what, why are you so upset? Like you should be thankful that you're related to a doctor and these kind of harsh reactions that people go through. So I imagine that you as a group are going through so much of that too, and probably have a wide range of reactions and experiences. Yeah. People can be really cruel. Um, Yeah. Great. My doctor or my dad is a doctor, but he's what also, what kind of man is he to, lie and defraud and and deceive my parents, you know, like an anonymous donor, anonymity works both ways. The whole point is my parents won't know who the biological father is and the donor won't know who their biological child is. Right. And, And instead he's inserting himself into these family units, especially the ones that he still cared for as patients during and after the pregnancy um, that's just, that's just not okay. You know, it's definitely an abuse of power. Um, so yeah, great. I have a, a doctor for a father, but I have a hard time believing he's a nice man. And until he shows us otherwise, that's just what I have to go off of. Yeah. Well, I want to say a huge congratulations for all the hard work that you've put in for it amazingly coming through and that you, I mean, changing the law is incredible that you took this trauma and were able to, to affect change. And so, you know, congratulations to you and, you know, shout outs to Tipper Tipper and Rich and Senator Gardner for all that they've done. Yes. Thank you very much. And we were blessed to meet such an awesome group of of lawmakers and our attorneys are awesome. And, and Chris Vanderveen from nine news has been awesome in Denver. Like with all this going on, 
I've met some people that I never would have met ever in my life. And it's, it's been a blessing for that. Well, we'll leave it with that positive note, but thank you so much, Maya, for coming and sharing your, your story. And again, we, we feel like the podcast partially is just to help people not feel alone. And for others who might be in similar shoes to be able to hear other stories and to know that there is a path forward of making a difference in the world. Um, and that the feelings that they're feeling are, you know, are, they're not alone. Others are going through that as well. Yes. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. Wow. I, um, I have to admit, I feel really traumatized from her, from her interview. I just like, the the trauma and the feelings of violation and all of those things that she really talked about were things that I had not heard expressed so eloquently. So I really appreciate her openness and willingness to really share those feelings with us. It was really incredible to hear that. And it's always amazing to hear um, people like Maya, as well as Eve Wiley, who's been on the show, um, take that and really try to make a difference for others. So I love yeah. hearing that. Yeah. Uh, there's no fun way to segue to that. I'm like, speaking of making a difference, oh, wait, that's, uh, yeah, humor lost. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but you can still go to iTunes and leave us reviews. You can send us emails, go to our website, I want to put a baby in you.com, as well as call us and give a, leave us a phone message at 303-997-1903. We Always appreciate any and all contact and reach outs from people. Uh, and really, really always excited to hear from you. So thank you as always to our team that makes us look and sound incredible to uh, Amanda, to Tyler, to Chris at Work at Bird Studios. And uh, once again, we are very most thankful for you, our guests and you, our guests and those of you who listen to us. So thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you.